Parshas Pinchas, we are seeking to develop a cohesive theme permeating the parasha pervasively. More than simply individual storylines and individual mitzvahs, there's some epic idea, impactful idea, at work here threaded throughout the parasha. So let's begin at the beginning. Our parasha starts by serenading Pinchas, praising Pinchas, in follow-up from last week's parasha, when Pinchas witnessed the terrible public display of immorality. The Benos Midyam, Benos Moav, foreign girls were leading the male Jews astray, and in particular, Cosby Basur, a Midianite princess, ensnared Anasi Shebi Yisrael, Zimri from the Shevet of Shimon. So Pinchas reacted with passion, with zeal, and knocked down the offenders and thereby brought the divine plague to a halt. This opening serenation of Pinchas is very powerful. So I would suggest it is not simply affirming the individual personality of Pinchas and the individual deed of Pinchas, but what it represents. Pinchas, in fighting off immorality, was not simply avenging Hashem's honor against sinners, but he was in particular affirming morality, sensual purity, really the Kedusha of bias, the sacredness of family life, the pristine relationship between husband and wife, which Gili Arias, which promiscuity undermines, this is what Pinchas was affirming here, and Pinchas is really the icon of that entire midah. All of us, in our quest to have ever purer Kedushas Habayis, Look to Pinchas as our model. Why do I say that? Perhaps you noticed at a brismila, the opening psukim, which it is customary for the mowel to say. It is customary that the mowel opens the bris by reciting the psukim at the beginning of our parashah. Pinchas, ben Aaron, ben Elazar, Akoin, Heshev, Eschamasi, Me'al, ben Yisrael. Why in the beginning of a bris meal, in the beginning of a circumcision ceremony, do you start to read Parshas Pinchas? Well, I think we're beginning to understand why. Pinchas, in his deed for which he's praised here, was affirming the, the mita of Jewish sensual purity, of Kedushas Habayis, which is what Mila is coming to affirm. As Chazal consistently tell us, Mila is the mark in the masculine reproductive organ to symbolize that we Jews have the ability to elevate that most primal drive and make something beautiful out of it. Everything which is relationship, which is the exclusivity of marriage, and the like. So Pinchas is the model at every bris. And this becomes even more apparent midrashically when we're taught that Pinchas' neshama is linked to that of Eliyahu Hanavi, Pinchas zu Eliyahu. And 
And as Elio, he is called Malach Habris, the angel of a Brasmila, the spiritual patron of every Brasmila. Well, now we understand why. Pinchas, in his celebrated deed here, was inspired, was impassioned by everything which Brasmila is coming to affirm. So this seems to be, from the overture of our parasha, what the entire narrative, what the entire symphony of the Sedra is going to be about, the sacredness of Mishpacha. Let's continue to trace it. Immediately following this praise of Pinchas, the Jewish people are charged with the mitzvah of Tsurares Hamidyanim Kisamosam. I want you Jewish people to strike back at the Midyanim. This nation whose daughters led you astray. It is very clear that the Pinchas charge is continuing and now becoming a national virtue. Pinchas acted as a zealot, took arms to affirm Jewish central purity, really to avenge. Hashem's, the desecration of Hashem's honor in terms of promiscuity. Well, now the entire nation is going to do the same thing. In fact, this perspective, feeling the pulse of our parsha, segueing from Pinchas to the nation as a whole, taking arms as an expansion of the Pinchas model. Pinchas is an icon for the nation at large, is borne out in a later sedra. Next week we will learn in Parshas Matos that it was actually Pinchas who led the Jewish people into battle against the nation of Midian. And the symbolism is powerful. He is leading the Jewish people in their charge against those who led them astray the nation of Midian because they are, the entire people, the entire Bnei Yisrael, are joining the ranks of Pinchas. We all capture a little Pinchas in us. We all become impassioned by the cause of Kedushas Habayis, and hence, our, and thus our Parsha continues to unfold cohesively. And then our Parsha says, it was after the plague. It was after the plague which happened due to the sin of promiscuity with the daughters of Moab and Midian. It was after that plague that Hashem said, I want you to count the people. A great census occurs now in Parshas Pinchas. It is very clear that that census was intended as a post-plague census. As I mentioned, it was after the plague. Rashi explains in this regard, it was a census to count the Jews who survived the plague. The Jews, those who survived the retribution against promiscuity. So again, the theme is continuing. Because I would argue the count, the census of survivors is real. The census of survivors of this particular plague is really a question of which Jews continue on beyond the, the, the beyond the skirmish with immorality. Which Jews are able to perpetuate and continue, and were not led astray. That is what the census is about. And what is truly magnificent from this perspective is when you study some of the unique features of the census of Parshas Pinchas, in contrast to previous censuses in Chumash, you will find that it's all about 
seeing the Jews as paragons of Kedusha Sabayas. For example, unlike previous censuses, such as in the beginning of Parshas Bamidbar, where it merely counted the people and the numbers of tribe members, the people in each Shevet, here for the very first time in the census of Parshas Pinchas, it lists them by family name or by clan name. It says, Lechanoch Mishpachas HaChanuchi, Lefalu Mishpachas HaPalui. For the first time here in the census, the Jewish people are described as Mishpachos. Why here? Well, now it's oh so clear why. In line with the greater theme of the Parsha, and this census in our Parsha, it is all about the Jewish people who remain firm to Kedushas Habayis. So they are not seen as simply people. They are not even seen as simply tribe members. People with a, an external public role people who are members of a tribe, people who function in the public sphere. But there's a recognition now of the private sphere of life, the mishpacha sphere, because that is where the focus becomes in Parshas Pinchas. Kedushas Habayas, central purity, the sanctity of marriage is all about that private sphere of mishpacha. Aside from the public sphere, recognized of previous censuses in terms of we all have a certain responsibility to community, to tribe, to the Jewish people as a whole, but now it's a question of protecting and safeguarding that cherished, intimate realm, which can oh so easily be overrun, snuffed, ha- lose its soulfulness, lose its, lose its sneeze, lose its privacy, lose its dignity. And there's another clue to this effect marking this census in Parshas Pinchas as the census of Kedushas Habayis. And that is a madrasha clue, a well-known madrasha clue, noticed by Rashi. Each of the mishpachos, the 65 clans of B'nai Yisrael counted in Parshas Pinchas, as is well-known, are prefaced with a hey and, and with a yud. So the Chanoch family is called Ha Chanochi, beginning with a Hey, ending with a Yud. This is the Yud on Hey from Hashem's name. Rashi cites the Medrash that this was actually to abut, to refute and repudiate a slanderous claim against the Jewish people. The nations of the world claim, you Jewish people, your pedigree has much to be desired. You are a bunch of Mamzer, because think about it, you were slaves in Mitzrayim. And we all know what's happened in every slave culture. We all know what they do to the women, right? So what does that say about you, B'nai Yisrael? Children of these slaves, no doubt your women were abused and exploited by their Egyptian overlords. When in fact, the Medrash tells us that somehow, some way, the Jewish women fought off their masters, Egyptian masters, concerted effort to exploit them. And a heroism of epic proportions. I mean, I can't imagine a slave or, 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 or a vulnerable slave woman fighting off the no-says-no-thing which we're talking about today in the Me Too movement. Imagine a slave girl doing that. It's, it's epic proportion. It's, it's, it's a heroism of epic proportions. But the point is Hashem is affirming that with the hay and the yud and the hay from his name. You're a godly people. Your yichas is pure. You were not exploited. Your, your mothers were not exploited by the Egyptians so your pedigree is pure. That's the hay and the, the yid and the hay here, framing each family. Well, hold on a second. It's been 40 years since Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. 
40 years since they left Mitzrayim. And all of this time, the slanderous claim has gone unanswered. Why specifically here in the census of Parshas Pemchas do they receive the letters Yud and Hey affirming their parents' fidelity in Mitzrayim? Well, now it's so clear why. This census is the census all about Mishpachos, all about Kedushas Mishpachos, following the model of Pinchas. This is a Jewish people continuing on with Pinchas as their hero, with Pinchas as their icon. We all have a little Pinchas in us. We've traced in the parasha, in the rhythm of the parasha, the pulse of the parasha in its narratives up to this point. So we are counted as sacred Mishpachos of Yiran Hay. And perhaps another way to frame this is you could argue that in light of the sin at the end of last week's parsha, the fact that the Pnos Moav, Pnos Midian led us astray, that only added fuel to the fire. That only fanned the slanderous, libelous claims against us that we must have been exploited, our women must have been exploited by the Mitzvah. After all, here you Jewish people volitionally pursue promiscuity with Pnos Midian, Pnos Moav. Is it really plausible to believe that you people fought off the Mitzrim in an with otherworldly passion of a slave just so committed to morality can't be? So it is here that's appropriate to affirm. Yes, 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 yes. Jews are essentially moral. Jews are essentially a family people, as we know as is oh so apparent today in a world which is losing its tether, in a world which has lost touch with all of the basic foundations of, and pillars of humanity that even family has corroded. We stand proud, we stand proudly as B'nai and Benos Mishpacha, family men, family woman. This is a Jewish value when there is a mess up in this regard. A failure in this regard, it's the exception rather than the rule. Or perhaps you would say it's the exception which proves the rule. The fact that it is so shocking that a Jewish people sins with B'nai and B'nai Smov. When in the ancient world, I mean in the present world, this happens all the time. No, amongst the Jewish people, that is the exception. All claims against us are repudiated, are refuted with the hay and the yud. Don't look at Benos Mov, Benos Midian, that Avera as the standard. See it as the exception, which proves the rule. Jews are, Jews are essentially pure. We are a nation of Pinchas, of Parshas Pinchas. So thus far, our parsha has come together magnificently. All around this also relevant theme of the sacredness of family life, the charge, the passion over fidelity, which Pinchas represents. But at this point, our parsha seems to send us on a little of a detour. It seems to now go in an entirely different direction, moving away from the Pinchas story and the fidelity stuff, and now deals with a whole other dynamic. It deals with the Yerushas Ha'aretz. It deals with the protocol of how the territory in Eretz Israel is to be allotted. It says, based on the census, 
Well, these people counted here will each receive a plot in Eretz Yisrael. And in this vein, it continues with the laws of inheritance in general. Who will inherit this land and other inheritance? And it speaks up in Oslavcha, the whole question about daughters inheriting if there are no sons. And then in this regard, it speaks about Moshe, select, Moshe asking Hashem to designate his successor, Yeshua. Now that it's talking about entering the land and divvying up the territory, the question becomes who's going to lead them into the land, and the answer here is Yeshua. And then it ends with the carbon Musaf, because as Ramban explains, the carbon Musaf is a carbon which only became obligatory when they entered Eretz Yisrael. So he... Here we have the end of the parasha dealing with really entering Eretz Yisrael, the dipping up of the land, the Yerusha connected to it, the leadership that which will lead them into the land, and the Karbanas, which they will sacrifice in the land. So what's going on here? Why does this inspiring parsha dealing with the quality of Jewish family life, fidelity, relationship, ahava, how does it suddenly become a prosaic parasha about divvying up land and related Eretz Yisrael halachos. What is the connection? And the parasha is asking us to grapple with this question. Not only because it includes both of these narratives, both of these meta-narratives, the meta-narrative all about Pinchas and related Jewish fidelity in the beginning, and at the end, the meta-narrative about Eretz Yisrael diving up the land and so forth. But you realize there is a linchpin between the par- between these two narratives. The census. It is the same census in the middle of the parsha, which counts those who survived the plague, the plague which struck down those who committed promiscuity, the plague, the, the census which marks those who are continuing on as essentially pure people. It is that same census which also serves a dual purpose of marking those who will receive the portion of the land, the same census. It is the census of survivors, of survivors who were not struck down because they did not commit promiscuity. It is the census which is affirming Jewish fidelity, which is also in turn serving to divvy up the land, to count who will receive a portion of the land. That must be significant. It's not a coincidence that the same census is serving a dual purpose. These two must be inherently connected. It is as a Jewish people who is essentially pure as marked by the census that they can in turn receive a plot in Eretz Yisrael. There is something about Kalukas Haaretz, the allotting of territory in the land, which is integrally connected to fidelity, ava, mishpacha, relationship. And what is it? Herein lies the key to unlocking the grand scheme of the parsha. An author of a story always has the grand scheme. What is the grand scheme of the divine author in Parshas Pinchas? Bringing together the land and the fidelity. Well, When you think about it, on many levels, the allotment of the land is familial in its nature. The Torah says that they are to receive these land, these plots of land, as a nachala, as an inheritance for future generations, i.e., it is a familial estate. You might notice when you drive certain neighbor through certain neighborhoods, or certainly when you are in 
more quaint cultures. You'll pass by plantations or estates which have passed through the generations, and, and, and it is seen as a familial estate. This is the Smith's Plantation, which has been a multi-generational uh, piece of real estate. That is the way Eretz Yisrael has been divided. It is giving physical testament in the form, in the form of soil to the perpetuation of the family. It's the concept that a family lives on. A family, each family rep has certain values which continue on from generation to generation. That's what makes them a family as represented by the continuous plot of land. As we see in the Parsha, that is with regard to this Chalukah arts, the Torah speaks about Yerusha. So that's one symptom of the family connection vis-a-vis the land, but there's another point which goes along with this. And that's the following realization. Let me express this in contemporary terms. You have many people right now who are living in camp communities in the Catskill Mountains and other places, bungalow colonies, camps, and we all know there's a certain attraction to that bungalow camp way of life. Some people love a certain casual element, but there's a certain lack of privacy. Everyone's eating in a communal dining room in some of the camps. Children are running between bungalow huts. There's a lack of privacy to individual families. Well, when you think about it, up until this point in Jewish history, when Claudius Yisrael was in the Midbar, we were a bungalow colony nation. No one owns separate land. They're pitching a bunch of tents. And as much as Bilaam might praise in last week's parasha, Matovu Yaakov, the Jews tried their best to maintain a degree of privacy between tents, I'm convinced that at a tent-like community, you can't have true privacy. However, when they enter the land and they receive these plots, each family has its own piece of real estate. Each family has its own zone, its territory. which symbolizes the boundaries. This is our family. It's not to be treaded on by anyone else. We have our own space, our own values, our own intimacy within this space. So in a very powerful way, Chalukah Sa'aret introduces the concept of privacy of the family, uniqueness of the family, the fact that we might invite others in for events, for our Shabbos Suda, but in the end of it, Family is family. Guests come and dance, so to speak. They come, they come for part of the show. But when the curtain closes, the true life, it's the family. We, we have our own private space. Well, that's very powerful. That is the census of Mishpachos and the Pinchas aura, which marks this. There's a whole new change of focus in our parasha. Pinchas is teaching us to focus on the family and the intimacy of family life and suggests to us that the ability to to endure with fidelity, to be pure from promiscuity, has a lot to do with that family unit and its protective institutions, such as the bias, which includes that plot of land and that real estate which will remain throughout the generations. So when you really think about it, 
our parsha is a parsha of mishpacha, recognizing both the neshama and the guf, the spirit and the body of Jewish family life. The spirit of Jewish family life is the beginning of the parsha, pinchas, the notion of a zealousness for morality, the notion of the yud and the hey from Hashem's name, which inspires Jewish family life. And then the parsha introduces the guf, the body, the notion of there is a physical space for this soul called the Meshpacha to reside in, an individual plot of land which will remain in this family and will be the inviolable space of this family and this family alone. We are ready to move beyond the bungalow colony, the machana tent thing for all of its appeal. So now we really have the pleasure of seeing a parasha coming together cohesively. This is, this is really the, the art, the fine art of developing a parsha harmoniously and seeing how it comes together compellingly, how it coalesces, how all these touch points connect around the theme of family. I would like to develop one final Dimension. As the parsha about family, Kedushas Habayas, there must be some deep, deep spiritual lesson, idea, hashkafa articulated here. What is it really that makes the family click? It's going to be here in Parsha's Pentecost. Let's find it in the parsha. Well, that Chazal in our parasha that we know so well, noticing that the census marks each family with a yid and a hey from Hashem's name, is a mysterious enigmatic Chazal. And as with every mystery, you know that therein lies the deeper insight. Why specifically the yid and the hey from Hashem's name? If you want to mark that these people are holy, you have many divine names. And even within the four-letter name, yid, Hey, Vav, and then Hey. You notice it's just the first Yud and Hey. Why Yud and Hey? Something about the Yud and the Hey, which is relevant to Jewish family life. The key is to find some other statement of Chazal about a Yud and a Hey, which directly parallels this, this medrash about the framing of each family, the marking of their sensual purity that they were undefiled by the mitzvah. Some other chazal which parallels and complements this one. Well, let's think. When we realize that it is oh so clear, there's a well-known Gemara and Sota as rendered by Rashi, which says as follows, Shalom ben shora. When there's peace between man and woman, the shechina resides. Because ish and isha, Ish spelled Aleph Yud Shin. Isha spelled Aleph Shin Hey. Each possess a letter of the divine name. Ish man possesses the Yud. Isha woman possesses the Hey. So Ish and Isha separately would not formulate a divine name. Together, Ish and Isha, the Yud and the Hey come together. That's the Shekhinah when they're Shalom. And also, man and woman are living under one roof, but they are not intimate, trusting of each other. So they are functionally living as strangers under the same roof. But when the Shalom ben Ishli, Ishadish and the Isha come together, and then there's Yud and the Hey, there's Shechim. 
Well, this is so exciting. A, a eureka light bulb goes off here. Well, now we understand why the mark of Jewish central purity in our parasha, the fact that from the inception of our peoplehood in Mitzrayim, we resisted lures of infidelity and really our master's torturous attempts to defile us, that is marked by specifically the divine name Yud and Hay, because the Yud and the Hay is the divine mark of man and woman's commitment to each other, Jewish husband and Jewish wife's commitment to each other. This is what it's about. The divinity of bias lies in that level commitment, that level of intimacy, of devotion to each other, Yud and the Hay. So let's see if we can develop this one tad further. The notion that Ish and Isha each possess a letter of the divine name and they come together and form the whole name is a lot more than a cutesy mnemonic. Yud, hey, it comes together. As with every midrashic letter code, it is brimming with meaning, appreciated as follows. As man or woman, we each possess a letter of the divine name, which means we all have a divine potential in us. We all have Tzalem Elohim. We all have the potential to do great things, godly things. But man and woman each left to themselves is only a fragment of the divine image. Tzalem Elohim cannot be fully actualized simply by a man, simply by a woman. And of course, this is very apparent biologically. The ability to procreate a child, and not simply an animal, but a, a human who will have an ashama soul. There's nothing more divine than that. Procreation, mimicking creation itself. Well, there is no way to procreate without Ishanisha. And if we really do this thing right, this relationship thing right, where the connection is not simply a biological one, but a soul one in producing this child, as Rashi Bracia says it must be, right? you see clearly that we imitate Hashem. When we come, only when we come together as man and woman. Each of us has different biological capacities that might be divine letters, i.e. possess certain latent potentials, but it only achieves the divine. We only become creators when we come together, man and woman, and fuse our respective qualities. I believe this goes beyond procreation. It would likewise be true of all creative endeavor. To achieve anything, be it a child, be it meaning, be it chesed, be it Torah, be it the arts, kodesh, anything of substance, if you're going to do it on a divine level, it requires the fusion of masculine characteristics with feminine characteristics. And this is a precious message in a world which is at once intoxicated and crazed by the whole idea of gender and gender identity. The preciousness with, with, with which Yiddishkeit holds gender difference and the uniqueness of each contribution, the indispensability of each contribution, that neither of us can be complete and be divine without the other, is what Yudke is all about. We only become a divine name 
when we, re- when we respect ourselves and our gender identity, when we respect our spouse and their differences emotionally, their needs physically, emotionally, physiologically, mystery different as they will always be to us. The other gender will always be mysterious to us. That's the nature of the game. That's what makes it so precious and at the same time so frustrating. Everything we are talking about is really is really echoed in the Pusik and Parshas Brace the Pusik of Tzalam Elokim, which says... The Pasuk links Tzalem Elohim to the fact that they were created as man and woman. Well, the deeper meaning of that Pasuk is Tzalem Elohim is only through the connectivity of man and woman. Whether in procreation or any human endeavor. You can talk about it from the perspective of the Bali Machshava and really other other psychological disciplines that talk about the male quest for kibush. Male is always, masculinity is all about the drive, the spark, the flash of creativity, everything which is represented by the biological zera and seed, which is so potent and so powerful and so stimulating but is only a spring. It doesn't get anywhere. It is gestation. It is conception. Everything which woman is about, everything which a womb is about, i.e. the nurturance of a woman, the pragmatism of a woman, the way she takes the man's inspiration and fruitfully brings it out to fulfillment in the real world, to make something real out of it, whether it is a child the child he was inspired to create, which only she gives form to, or whether it is his creative idea, his dreams in life, his machshavos, that potent spark, Zara, which she as Ezer Kinegdo, with her, with the pragmatism, which is generally characteristically feminine, she nurtures, she sees through. Well, these are two indispensable aspects Creativity and passion, the masculine element on one hand. Discipline, seeing things through. Pragmatism on the other. These two attributes are both divine aspects of creation because Chazal speak about Olobimachshava and Maisa. Hashem creates the world through Machshava, through plans, dreams, which I would call the masculine element, and also Maisa, the practical element. Hashem Kiviachal has both elements. Well, Hashem endows each gender with one of those respectively, and we come together to do them both. So Yud Hey then, the fusion of Yud Hey, this is now comes together so magnificently. What a revelation there, how the pieces are now coming together cohesively. Yud Hey is a letter of creation. And a letter of procreation. It is the masculine and feminine components of godliness, which are embodied by man and woman. I would actually suggest that you can trace much of what I just said in the Pasuk, which says, Ki Hashem Tzur Ki Yud 
Hey, Tzor Olam. Hashem created worlds through the letters Yud and Hey, those are the masculine and feminine dimensions in creation. The masculine idea dreaming, planning creation, and the feminine practical implementation thereof. That's how Hashem created worlds. That is how we imitate Hashem in procreation when we cultivate a soul, a Jewish child, like Hashem, as just as Hashem does. But any creative endeavor, any child we create, we do it on a divine level when we come together as man and woman. That is the richness of that deceptively simple statement in our parasha about the Yud and the Hay framing each family. It is brimming with meaning now. It is affirming the preciousness of male-female relationship, the exclusivity of gender identity. We need each other by virtue of our differences. And to the extent each ish yud and each isha hey appreciate themselves and their own needs and the needs of their partner and their differences, and they stay together with fidelity and intimacy, that is what this whole bias thing of Parshas Pinchas is all about. That is the soul of bias, what Pinchas is about, the fidelity, and that's what infuses the physical home, the real estate, which the end of our parish introduces on those familial estates in Eretz Yisrael. So how delightful to trace such a panoramic view in the parsha. How it all comes together cohesively. And what an inspiring ideal of Jewish family life. All pointing back to the sacredness, the indispensability of intimacy, of Ishvisha, and this exclusive relationship, which is consummately holy in Jewish family life. May we all cherish this most unique gift called Mishpachalev, called Ishvisha, and the unique ethos of Jewish family life. This legacy of Parshas Pinchas, which has been ours forevermore.